Hello, and welcome to Regrets I've Had a Few. I'm Paul Hunter, Artistic Director of Told by an Idiot, and this is a podcast where I talk to friends and colleagues delving into what made them the person they are today. Hello, and welcome. Uh, my guest this month is one of the rising stars of his generation. Equally at home, directing Shakespeare, new writing, or Christmas shows, he also runs buildings. As artistic director of the Unicorn Theatre, he led the organisation through the pandemic and continued to redesign what theatre for young people and families could be. Now, new artistic director at Chichester, I for one can't wait to see what he's going to do. Welcome, Justin Ortebeck. Hi, Paul. Um, thank you so much. Great to be invited. Well, it's lovely to have you here. And um, obviously, we've uh, worked together on several occasions, so I'm sure we'll touch on that at some point. But I will kick off, as I always do, by taking guests back to the very beginnings of uh, uh, of things and, and asking when or how or, or where was your first kind of engagement with theatre or live performance, whether that's through family or school or, or did, did it come later? Yeah, so I've got, I've got quite a good one of these. So my first, uh, well, the first that I can remember, I'm pretty sure it would be the first, was on my fifth birthday, um, being taken to the Kenneth Moore Theatre in Ilford um, to see the Sooty and Sweep show live by my grandma. And um, she had told them it was my birthday. So when I, when it came to the bit where you go and, you know, they have people up from the audience, I got to go off on stage and go, Izzy, Wizzy, let's get busy and wave the wand. And then a birthday cake appeared and then everyone sang me happy birthday. <laughs> So um, I, I'm pretty sure that I just, that's probably what ended up being a theatre exit. Does life ever get better than saying, is, is, let's get busy that... and match your own birthday cake? Oh, that's quite an extraordinary <laughs> um, first show to see. And, and kind of interacting with Mercin, uh, yeah. piece of performance that you were part of. It kind of will lead to a question later about performing that I have for you, but, but you've kind of touched on it already. Extraordinary. So were you born and raised in Ilford, Justice? I, I, I was, yeah. I was born, um, yeah, that's right. I lived there until I, until actually probably not long after that. So I think I was about, I, I'd done my first year of primary school and then we moved to Croydon. So then I grew up like Hayley, yeah. Carmichael, um, as we've talked about before, um, in Croydon. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I think I'm a Croydonian really because I was there from six to yeah. 18. So yeah. Really, but yeah, no, that's where I was. I was born in Ilford, bless. And, um, it's interesting you talk about the sooty and sweet extravaganza Um Was that an isolated theatre trip, or did or did did you go more with school or anything like that? So basically, my family would I would say I think it probably worked out as twice a year. So pretty pretty much, we always went to a pantomime at Christmas, and then we pretty much always went to a musical at some point in the year. Um, and the pantomime often my mum would arrange, but sometimes like my grandma took me to the Palladium. I remember seeing Frank Bruno. Wow. In a, in a pantomime at the Palladium. Yeah, I remember doing that. Um, and then and then the musical, my it would would tend to be like a classic musical, but we tend to go and see it. And my auntie and uncle lived in the Midlands in Redditch, and we tend to go and see it at the Hippodrome. Yeah. Uh, it would tend to be like, you know, I remember seeing My Fair Lady. I remember seeing Oliver. I remember seeing, um, 
uh, the Canterville Ghost with Ron Ron Moody's. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it would te- that those would tend to be the experiences I kind of had, and then I would be in the you know often I'd be in the school like primary school play, and then when I was eleven, for my eleventh birthday, my auntie who would often book the musical, mm-hmm. she loved going to Stratford upon Avon to watch shows there. She she went to you know she was from Ilford as well, but she went to University in Aston trained to be an optician she started going to stratford then to watch plays you know um get you know cheap student tickets or and often they were in the other place she would go but she took me at 11 to see um a production of uh, uh i mean so strange now love's labor's lost um which i'm pretty i've looked this up and i think it's ian judge directed it mm. uh, and i couldn't tell you he was in it but um it was uh all set in like kind of cambridge or oxford i'm not sure it was like punty yeah. The kind of theme of it. Everyone was punting around left, right, side. I didn't even know what punting was. Obviously, why would you when you're 11? Um, I just remember, like, it was in the RST, the, the old, you know, the old RST, yeah. the massive barn thing. But we must have had okay seats, I think, you know, like, but it was huge. And I just remember, strangely, like, that was the thing that, like, I just remember the spectacle of it and these, like, mecha- mechanized, like, boats going backwards and forwards and, and just like love it, like I remember really vividly loving that. Not I mean, I always liked the musicals, you know, but I remember that, and I remember the challenge of the Shakespeare, and I remember that was a really, like I would say that was a really formative experience. And then after that, my auntie would often take me to. She'd book tickets for like one Shakespeare thing a year as well. So I started going to Shakespeare because of that. That's very interesting, and also the fact that, as you said, you're. Similar to me, your experience was, um, I didn't really see musicals, but certainly in Birmingham, you used to go to the Hippodrome to see the pantomimes and stuff. And then slightly older than you, had that thing, because I was born in Birmingham, eventually it would be a school trip to Stratford. Yeah. Um, and it's funny when you mentioned that particular production, which I didn't see, but I remember acting at the Barbican in the 90s and they had lots of posters. And I can see a poster that looked like Bride's Head Revisited. Yeah, it looks but, exactly like that. Yeah. For that for that vibe, which I'm sure must be that. Yeah. Um, so that's quite an, uh, I, I suppose, a fairly early introduction to, uh, and and also it wasn't like Midsummer Night's Dream. No, no, no. Quite complex poverty that you were that you were dealing with, um, and then so you go to secondary school, and uh, it, it is a, at what point does a kind of, you know, often when I talk to guests, there is some kind of turning point. It might be a teacher or a, a, something that ignites the idea that oh maybe there's something. Did that happen for you in some way? Yeah, so I, I think that's really true. So we had, um, I went to a state school, but it was a really academic state school, like really academic, really cool. Wilson's, it's a really good school. Um, slightly strange, and all boys school, which, you know, um, you know, a di- difference. Um, and, um, and we had a teacher who taught, actually taught classics is what he taught. Wow. Um, through the classics, you would do like Sophocles and Euripides and Aeschylus. I mean, not, I think we only did one Aeschylus, I think the rest of it was Sophocles and Euripides. And he would then do the school play as well and direct the school play. His name was Jeff Shaw. And um, he, uh, yeah, basically, so he did like uh, Hiawatha, a stage version of Hiawatha. Um, we did, when I was 16, we did John Ford's Tis Pity She's a Whore. Wow. Um, which is a mad play to do it. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, and then we did um, a play called Ghetto, which was by Joshua Sobel. Yes. Yes. Nick Heitner directed at the National. 
Um, so we did these like really heavy <laughs> with kids to do. Um, and I suppose on some level, I just loved doing that. And and what I look back on now is, you know, um, I, so I would be in them. But what I look back on now is I would, he would often say like, oh, why don't you go and take those guys off and rehearse a bit? So I suppose I wasn't the assistant director, but I was a kind of unofficial assistant director, if that makes sense. Like, and I guess that was the thing, you know, I would go off and like, you know, do little practice little bits with people. And I just like doing that. And so I suppose that was that. But I mean, I, you know, full disclosure, like even at that point, I would have, I would have had no idea whatsoever that I would work in the theatre. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if I knew there were jobs in the theatre. Do you know what I mean? No, no. I would have known there were actors. But I'm like, well, I'm not even sure. Yeah, I suppose I would have known that there was stage managers. I don't think I would have known there were directors, for example, or even, you know, you, you know, someone did the lights, but you don't know there that's a job. Do you know what I mean? Like I... So it's an interesting thing, isn't it, when, you, you know, you you begin to have a, a, a really, really strong feeling about performance or theatre, whatever, but as you say, you don't really know what people do or what roles are or that yeah. someone is directing something. Yeah. Um, and and not you know, thinking that theatre just kind of happens somehow. Yeah. Um, and what was your feelings around performing there? Because I'm always interested with when I speak to directors. At what point do you start to go? Well, I'm not sure about this performance business, or did that carry on for a while? So, so I so I went to university and in Sheffield University, and yeah. again, like everything is a mixture of like, you know, an interest and then the luck and the circumstances. So it just happened that in the same time as I was at university in Sheffield. Um, there was James Grieve and George Perrin, who later went on to run yep. Payne's Plough. There was Lucy Preble, obviously very famous player. Yep. Now DC Moore, um, uh, an actor, Simon Darwin, another producer called Paul Jellis, um, and Alan Lane, who runs... Yes, Alan uh, Lane. Yeah. And Alan was a couple of years above, um, and probably really, really important. I mean, I later lived with Alan, but probably really important in that you know, he kind of, he was in his third year when I was in my first year and he kind of left yeah. and worked, you know, in a whole range of odd jobs in theatre, I think. Yeah. He found his company. Um, um, so I, and I, and I, I still at university to start with acted and we all did. And I think the brilliant, the thing that we were so lucky about and the thing that I get, you know, you don't know it at the time, of course, but the way it worked in Sheffield was the drama society ran, but the, 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 there was a theatre that was an old converted church and there was a theatre manager, a guy called Ruben. Um, but essentially, the Drama Society, you could you ran, you programmed and ran the theatre. and but, but with that, it meant that, you know, you had to rig the lights and like ping back and coil the, coil the cables and do all that stuff. And, and actually, so even if you were acting, you had to turn up for the get in and the get out on a Sunday, yeah. and it w wasn't like a choice. You know, you you either you weren't in the society if you didn't do that. Yeah. And you realize, you know, and 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 then like you know, and then basically, you know, it was just you know, if you were in a play, then the next play maybe you wouldn't be in it, but you'd be expected to do something. So like you know, you might be the in inverted commas. I'm doing air quotes here for the podcast. Sound designer, you know, putting like a mini disc in and like taking a minute, out, or you know, or you you do a lighting design. I remember doing one where LEDs had just like happened oh. first thing, and now and like doing this whole lighting design. I mean, now I'm like that must be the worst thing for the audience to watch. Just like color changing a psych, not <laughs> the whole show. You're like that must have been the most annoying thing to watch in their history. But you know, 
So you learn to do, or stage manage, or or produce, you know, or put the posters up or whatever. And you re I realize now that that was the kind of formative, you know, that thing of like, actually, you just got to try and do it. That's, you know, that was so important. But I was in, when I, I know when I first thought, oh, I would quite like directing. I was in a play, a version of Sisterly Feelings, an Alan Acorn play, where you, the second half is determined by the toss of a coin. Um, and I was playing the granddad in it. Um, uh, uh, and it, we came off stage and on the last night and I went up to the show and I was like, oh, that that scene where we all post passed around sandwiches, that was meant to be funny. <laughs> like we'd done like a whole run of this play and none of us had realized this whole scene was funny. And at that point I was like, well, if I've worked that out, maybe I should have been directing the play rather than being in the play. And I remember that being the thing of me being like, direct a play because I was like, I don't want to be, cause you know, cause obviously if something is meant to be funny and you're direct and it's not funny, it's just death. You know? Yeah. 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 Can't yeah even tell me about it. Just tell me about it. Just <laughs> very, very aware of that. <laughs> That's very interesting. That also Sheffield has a very rich, you know, there's a very rich history of, I mean, Stephen Dolger went there, I think, yeah. and Eddie Izzard and you know, there's obviously a culture there over the years, but interesting what you kind of describe might sound weird. Cause obviously you're about to, run one of the most prestigious theatres in the country and you've already run one of the most but what you're describing in a sense is maybe a slightly scaled down version of what running a building is you say about putting the posters up and I know I mean hopefully it's just you won't have to go and put the posters up I don't know but it feels like a scaled down version of what it means to run a building I'd never thought of that before but yes that is exactly what it is right whereas actually if you say you just yeah, if you went to a different place, say you did drama as your degree, you'd probably just spend all your time acting in the plays and then you might go to drama school or you, you know, or you'd work or whatever. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but yes, yes. And it was like, yeah, you kind of had to compete, you had to campaign and get votes for like to put the play on. And yeah, yeah, there's loads. I'd never thought, I'd never thought of that. But it's also an interesting thing, I think, because I never thought about directing at all. I was just desperate to be an actor and I yeah. trained to be an actor. Yeah. And it was only by chance when we set told when they needed to. But Hayley, John, and I yeah. spoke at the very early days about saying, well, we should also be fluid around what our roles are. And we used to badger John to return to the stage who hadn't been on stage for 20 years, and he'd always laugh and say, I'm not doing it. And then at one point, three or four shows in, I thought, actually, I'd quite like to direct this idea rather than being it. So I'm very fortunate that the company allowed me the opportunity to ultimately do something that I love. But So once you leave Sheffield, you then decide you want to train specifically. So kind of. So I I I took shows to I took shows to the um, like to Edinburgh Festival and stuff like that. And then I just didn't have a clue, you know, because why you know you just don't do you. So so I was a teacher for a couple of years. Okay. And then while I was there, a friend of mine did the Birkbeck course, which was very new. I was the fourth year. Okay. He was like the third year, and he said you would love this. Um. And so uh, while I was, te you know, doing teaching, I applied to do the course then. Um, and that's what took me. And that's obviously how I've then, so the first year of that course is like the tour classes. And then obviously that's how I met you and how I met yeah. you. Because I was your, you were, you were, you were, I was thrust upon you guys uh, up in Leeds in that, yeah, brilliant. in that, um, you know, in that slightly strange school that we were in rehearsing it, which was a very strange place to rehearse, but really fun. And obviously, you know, that was, I mean, I've talked about this before, but a very, I, I think, you know, and obviously most of the directing I have done, most of it is a text and then you direct it. But, you know, it was obviously 
so it was so vital to my development and changed the way I think about things to work with you and to see you start with you know not with that with an idea and with performers and putting their performers at the center of a thing and collectively working out you know how you're going to stage it you know you very much directed it but it you took all the kind of views of everybody in the room into that and you know and you know, I'm, you know, Ian Johnson or and obviously Hayley or, you know, all these people, you know, everybody would be like, well, what about this? What about that? What about that? And obviously you, you were the arbiter of those ideas, but you did it in that kind of collaboration. And that was, you know, inc- like, so, you know, for me, that was just the most vital thing to see. And I, I, I think that's how I do, do things, you know, and obviously I've done little bits of devising and I've done, you know, uh, you know, but that's been so seminal to me. Um, and I suppose the other thing where I felt really lucky to work with you guys as well was because uh, it was was on like how much emphasis you guys placed on the transitions between stories, which is really, fu- you know, it's a funny thing to say, but actually that does so much of the work for the show. Um, and it's amazing. Even now, I still go and see shows and I'm like, oh, you've done this brilliant scene, but your transition has killed that scene or killed the killed the leap into the next scene and you're like how can that still be going on you well it's remember- well thank thank you for that i look back on that time with a real pleasure of being up there and, and i also always like a room that has hopefully a real range of experience and different people in that room which was great i remember I, I one of my memories of that and you were brilliantly positive around the whole uh, situation which is not always easy to do that but I remember a very nerve-wracking, a very nerve-wracking rehearsal. Um, we did have a writer attached, a great poet called Carolyn Duffy. And of course, yeah. She she was sort of didn't seem very interesting coming in to see what we were doing until one morning. I, I was chatting to you, and then someone scurried over from Mark and said, "Carolyn Duffy's coming into rehearsal." And I remember thinking, "Oh my!" Because she's quite formidable when I yeah, met her. Yeah. And you talk about the actors center stage. I remember we were running a bit. I think there's a scene when Casanova. This is a production of Casanova in which we reinvent the character Casanova as a woman Hayley played rather marvellously she goes to London and gets tricked by this young man and his father and she loses all her money and work on the secret and I couldn't really it was you and me and Caroline Duffy sitting and I thought I can't really look I've just got to carry on and then brilliantly the power of what Hayley was doing and all the other performers she leant over and said to me about Hayley she's very good and I and I just thought thank God for Hayley because sometimes it's the director it's nerve wracking isn't it like when you're in the rehearsal room and you first have to share something to other people, it's it's exposing and, and it's exposing for the actors. But I always feel with my acting hat on, I've got something to do. You can do it. Like, yeah. You can exactly. do it. Directing. I've got there, go. No, you're like the football coach, the manager who, who, who sets up and can't do anything about it, and then the players have to go on and do it. Um, that's very, I, uh, it's interesting with the Burt Bet thing because I've worked with quite a few directors who have come off that training, and I suppose this is just a question I had. Is, there's obviously a kind of uh, a way of looking at directing that comes from yeah. that. And um, how do you think you retain what is you and your way of looking at stuff? And how do you apply a lot of the things that you're learning? Yeah, really, really good question. So, um, the, the you know, I would say to Rob, Rob Swain, who you know, founded the course along with Peter Cheeseman and has run the course since it's accepted since it was uh, since its inception. Um, you know, Rob is very good at going, look, I'm going to teach you a set. I'm going to give you a set of tools, but how you apply them and the way in which you apply them is up to you. And it has to be up to you. 
So he's very clear about that. I'm not saying that everyone always takes that and people do get into these things where like, no, this is the right way. Um, but he, he sets that out, I think, very clearly. I, th I think the thing that you get from Birkbeck that is the really, like, incredibly valuable, you know, is um, vernacular. Like, learning the different ways that you talk to the other collaborators, the lighting designer, the sound designer, the video designer, the set designer, the, the actors. You know, all, like, it, I think that's the thing that I, above anything else, took, yeah. took from it. Like, that was just so useful because actually... You know, and, and I suppose also going that just the, I know this sounds so basic now I say it, but the idea that, yeah, unless you communicate clearly with all those departments, well, whatever's in your brain is not going to happen on the, you know, in three dimensions because nobody can look inside your brain very clearly. I don't think that's basic at all, Justin. I think that communication is so central. I'm, I'm so surprised sometimes in a world that is about communicating, people are very poor at communicating. Completely right. I was I was talking to um, you know uh, you know assistant and a you know an emerging artist I'd hate that term you know what I mean a, 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 you know someone who's making their way in the, the in the in the industry and I said you know when and I'm sure you well, you would it would have been even worse like I would have had it a little bit better but like artistic directors used to be like they would not talk to you would they Paul no. I mean like they would you would you know you would just be like you know like they wouldn't communicate or like. Or, you know, they kind of, there was an element of fear or like, you know, intimidation or they'd be whisked away or, you know, they were really, it used to be such a strange thing. I, I, you know, and I can't say that, you know, I can't meet everybody that approaches me, but I try, you know, I try to communicate with most people. But you go, it's so strange, you know, that, that, and I think that culture has shifted yeah. a lot. I mean, yeah. like that shifted an awful lot, but it was, you know, at that point, it, you know, really was this kind of madly hierarchical thing where, yeah, and, and 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 because of that, those artist directors didn't feel the need to communicate, you know, uh, oh. and spell stuff to people, and it was very odd. I think mean, that's very true. Before we go on to talk a little bit about your sort of professional career, I um, we're always looking to develop uh, our work, and the podcast is no exception. So we're creating a new uh, element for it called Ask an Idiot, where we have um, uh, opened it out to the public who have a question uh, for our guests. So without further ado, Justin, here's our question. Hello, my name is Ben Haslam, and I'd like to ask Justin, given the rich history of Told by an Idiot shows inspired by real people, which person do you think would make a good subject for a show, and why? This is such a great question, uh, and my answer is, because Told by an Idiot have always been centred on the performer, and that's the starting point of um, how they make shows, and I've looked you know, I, th I was thinking about this, you know, the shows that, um, all the shows I would, oh, full disclosure, by the way, as well as, so I, as I was Paul's assistant and his associate, and I also was on the board of Tom Wendy as well. So I've seen quite a bit of Tom Wendy's work. Um, um, but because they are always focused on, and then, you know, the people they've, the real people they've done range from Casanova to Boris Vian to, um, um, you know, all, all yeah, Mrs. Slocum, um, <laughs> Uh, well, no, no, not a real person, fictional person, um, but for range people. But the person that uh, I think they should think about tackling um, is Quintus Roycius Gallus, who was the most like famous kind. Was the kind of first acting superstar in ancient Rome. <laughs> I, I mean, I was desperately hoping to find a woman 
in this, but I couldn't find a female famous Roman actor. But basically, Quintus Roy- Quintus Roitius Gallus was this mega, mega, mega star. Like people would pay thousands of sesterci to watch Gallus. <laughs> and I just, I imagine that Tom and Idiot would do a very, very funny version of this of, of his bio, his biography. I mean, probably Haley playing it amazingly, probably. Um, uh, so that that's the one I'm going to chuck in your way because also Tom and Idiot have never done anything in the Greco classical uh, world, um, or or I couldn't I I, I not that I know no, maybe I'm wrong. No, I don't think we did. I'll tell that you've already started my research. I've written the name down incorrectly, but I will be I will be looking into that. That's that's extraordinary. It's funny what you say about w- w- women. The one thing that uh, a good friend of mine a while ago. Mike Shepherd said, because we were talking about uh, the play, actually, he had got to play about Queen Victoria. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, I'd like to see you play Queen Victoria. And uh, and I, I I sort of laughed. And then I thought, actually, yeah. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. I'm going to go. Obviously, I think I'm late Queen Victoria. But, I, I was, but I'm now obviously uh, moving from Queen Victoria to Quintus Royce's Gallus. I will move. Oh, that's a brilliant answer and very inspiring. Um, so you leave Burton, you assist, you whatever, and then of course you, you very quickly start to make your own way. And, and um, I, I've always, I suppose it's an interesting thing where I'm thinking of two productions, if I take two, that I really enjoyed. One of which was The Jew of Malta, which you did at the RSC, Jasper Britton, and I, I thought it was terrific. Of a play that I barely knew, I think I'd seen one reading of it at the Globe, and you know, very rarely done. But obviously, I, it was terrific, and I thought the theatre of the evening was wonderful. And I, and I think too often, I, I think I remember Son of Bernie saying this, that you can see a play you don't know very well, a Shakespeare perhaps or whatever, and you don't know whether it's a very good play because the theatre isn't very good, if that makes sense. Um, and sometimes I'm too quick to say, someone says, was that, was that a good play? And I go, oh, no, not really. And then I think, well, I don't know, actually. But I think about it. If it had been, if the theatre had been somehow of the evening and all the elements, and I thought you did an amazing kind of uh, job on that. And then also the Box of Delights at Wilton's, which is a wonderful adaptation of uh, of a children's story. And I suppose my question is, which I, I think is some maybe that directors always are considering, what do you, would you say are the elements that you retain production to production, things that you go, I'm always going to do this. And what changes dependent on the, 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 the piece you're dealing with? That's a great question. So... Um, I, 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 the thing, you know, like everyone, when you first get the opportunity to make your own shows, you, you know, you sometimes, well, no, not sometimes, I, I made a decision. I would try most things because I was like, I don't know what I like. And I feel like it's iterative. So you kind of try different genres and different things. And then after a while, you kind, I kind of did that for a bit. And some of those went well, and some of those didn't go so well, you know, because you're, you're working out where your strengths and talents lie. Um, and then uh, after a while, I kind of settled on, a, uh, I suppose, two kind of principles to date to making work, taking on. One was, do I think with this show, I can, um, you know, I can, this show can express something about the way I feel and I do things about feel, not about what I think, but what I feel about the world in the moment that we're in. 
Um, so the Jew of Malta is a really good example of that. Obviously, it's a play very much about religious tension and interreligious rivalry and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then the other thing, well, the other the other uh, thing is, you know, is there like is there something theatrically inherent in the piece that is like I you know where the where you know which is more than just like watching a slice of everyday life. So they're the two things that I guess I'm interested in. Um, and, you know, and I suppose what Boss Lights has literally like phoenixes appearing from everywhere, like, you know, like it's absolutely bonkers. Um, so so those are the two things that I, I really try and, you know, look for. Uh, and I would say that's in most of the work I've done, most of the work I've done at the Unicorn as well. Um, uh, you know, what I, one of the things that I love about being a theatre director is, like kind of adding to the kind of layer of um different layers of skills that there are so box of the lights one of the things i loved about that was actually getting to work i'd never really done a show with video and actually i'd always been quite skeptical of theater shows with video but getting to work with nina dunn and kind of her really understanding that i didn't want it to be literal i wanted to do something expressive with it i want you know that was just brilliant and and that thing of just continually you know I think about that a lot. Like we're really lucky. We get to work with just such talented people who bring it, you know, who who take again, take the idea from your head and do a better version of it, right? Um so uh, so so that is a, you know, is a is a is a is a really big is a big thing. So like the new thing would be trying to add a new skill, you know, and that might be, you know, like that's been like in the past that's been, you know, street dance or, you know, like whatever like, layer to the thing that I'm doing is, you know, I always feel like um, but it would always go back to, you know, do I genuinely think, you know, this can, this says something about how I feel about the world. I would say that, and that might be, you know, with Box of Lights, actually that's that I think the power of imagination is the greatest gift. It's not, it's not going to be yeah. something new each time, if you know what I mean, but it's just like that it has yeah. to have that in it. Um, and when I haven't done shows that have been maybe as good as maybe cause I just, you know, there's a slight disconnect, you know, b between those two things, you know, that, and that's on, I think, um, that, you know, even with really brilliant actors who are, you know, giving it their all, if you have, a, if you're not quite able to like give that kind of spark of real inspiration, that's not the right word, but you know, that they know what it is they're working towards, then it kind of falls flat. I mean, that's how I've always found it anyway. Yeah. No, that's Does that make sense? does make sense and i think also like, you touched on there where you're talking about the, the the world of video and the person you work with you touch on for me something that is so crucial when i'm directing which is with the same with acting but I, I often think people say how do you find as one of the few people who still do both yeah. um to act and direct until someone tells me i don't want to see you on stage anymore or i don't want to find the place to direct so you do both. Queen um, Victoria is your career ender, Paul. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Career defining role. Um, I, I think it's also about responsibility because I genuinely think as a performer, you shouldn't carry too much responsibility. I'm being a bit flippant now, but I think your responsibility is to turn up on time, to be open, to learn lines if there are some, yeah. although I think that can be overrated. Um, um, and as a director, you inevitably carry more responsibility. Of course you do. People are looking to you. But I think that sense of collaboration becomes even more crucial, I think, for me as a director. Who is around me? Who am I working with? And like you say, when it's not just about people you return to, but it's 
the new people for me come into the mix where I go, oh, I'm suddenly working with a choreographer I didn't know at all. And, um, I, I totally get what you're saying. I've got a, a couple of more things I wanted to ask. Some of them are, are ludicrous in one way, but if you could start rehearsals tomorrow on any play to direct, what would you want to do? Wow, that is an absolutely brilliant question. I, okay, so at this moment in time, okay, so I've got this really fun idea for a Midsummer Night's Dream that's set in the um, set in the kind of 1989 Summer of Love, second Summer of Love in the free rave era. But I mean, everybody's doing Midsummer Night's Dream, so I don't know if I could do it. But it would be a great setting yeah. for Midsummer Night's Dream. So that, that has been ticking around my head with me going, oh, it would be perfect. And obviously, because it's warm at the moment and it's fun, but everybody's doing Midsummer Night's Dream, so I probably wouldn't, um, probably wouldn't do that. Um, I think, uh, what would I love to do? Um, oh, there's a really great play uh that um that i that i i've long thought uh should have another life and i don't i don't have quite the right idea for it but it's barry records play skyvers oh my god them which is barry record was a uh he was jamaican um playwright who came to the uk in the 50s and skyvers he was a teacher for a bit while he was here and it's set in a classroom with these kids that just basically are, you know, they don't want to learn. They don't want to like, you know, they're, they've basically been let down by the system and, and they really like, they're running wild. And I, I, I've always wanted to tackle that. I don't, don't think it's been done for a long time, but there's something about where we're at at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Public service is all, you know, in a bad place. And, and this sense a real anger and a real fire to it, but it's fun. The kids are funny, you know, they're like funny, but they're, you know, and yeah. So, so maybe that, Sounds, sounds timely. I often ask uh, actors what if there's one role they could play, what would it be? And uh, I suppose, and you can have the choice of spotlight and everything like that. If you could direct one actor at the moment, who would it be? Um, oh, that is amazing. And we get that it can be Hollywood, it can be Bollywood. It doesn't matter. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, who would I? So, on stage, on stage, right? On on stage, on stage. Um, who would be my one actor on stage that I would like to do? Well, so I have heard, but like, I think you'd have to do because of the, you'd have to do this because it would just be fascinating to do. Yeah. Uh, I have heard that Tom Hanks is hankering to do some stage acting. Justin, so I think you'd have to, like, you'd have to, right? Like, you'd <laughs> have to want to do it, like, because you'd be like. I mean that, and obviously he, I'm sure he's absolutely amazing, but I don't know, and he hasn't been on stage for a very long time. Well, if you if you get that phone call, then you know that's uh, I agree. Yeah, there's uh, an actor as a, as an actor, I suppose, someone that I I find very fast. I've only seen him on screen, but I think he started his life as a dancer, so I think he's performed on stage at the Wire Door. Is Mads Mikkelsen? Oh wow, he uh, he's kind of one of my favourite actors, and I kind of thought even if I could just be in a small part in something yeah. with him. I, I I think he's he's amazing. Uh, Justin, it's been so brilliant as ever to chat with you. We, we haven't had the chance for a while, so partly selfishly, I've really enjoyed the last 14 minutes. And, and actually, obviously, there's some stuff I didn't know at all. Um, I think you've done a brilliant job at uh, the Unicorn, and I think it's so exciting that you uh, moved to Chichester, so I wish you all the best for that. I always finish with seven random questions, which you, right. my guest asks the answer to the thing that comes into their head. 
So here we go. James Brown or Miles Davis? Miles, just. Very hard. Very hard. Very hard. The, the North or the South? Oh, I like both. Sorry for saying on the <laughs> Okay, that's fine. Very, I'm very Yorkshire. I'm very Yorkshire, Brown. Well, I, no, I thought Ilford and Sheffield. So I'm very Yorkshire. I'm very London, yeah. Croydon and Sheffield. That's fine. That's fine. Um, uh, uh, to choose between these two things, cancelling a press night or going on stage as the director with the book? Oh, Paul, I went on stage as Marmalade the Cat in Pinocchio, so that's, I do that, I've never cancelled. No worries. I'm I'm glad you're not a director who likes to cancel and is cancelling the show. That's very good. Uh, taxi driver or do the right thing? Oh, do the right thing, probably. Uh, uh, Carol Churchill or Sarah Kane? Carol Churchill, yeah. If you had to choose another job, Within the world of sport, would you go for boxing referee or cricket umpire? I mean, it's no comparison. Cricket umpire would be my job. What do you mean, my Much safer as well. Yeah. Um, and finally, leap before you look or look before you leap. Oh, I think I'm leap before you look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've got through life like saying yes to stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're leap before you look as well, Justin. Oh, yeah. um, thanks ever so much. Have a great day, Justin. Thanks, Paul. You too. Take care. See you soon. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed this idiot podcast, please spread the word.